Hello and welcome to another edition of Three Peas in a Pod, the podcast brought to you by the team behind Partnerships Bulletin and P3 Bulletin. I'm the editor Paul Jarvis and I'm joined by my deputy Jonathan Davis. Hi Paul. Today I'm interviewing Julia Pike, the Managing Director of Finance and Development for the Sizewell C Nuclear Power Project in the UK. She's also the winner of the Individual Contribution of the Year Award at this year's Partnerships Awards. And following the interview, Jonathan and I will pick out some of the main points to come out of the conversation. Hi, Julia. Thanks for joining us. Nice to see you, Paul. I think probably a good place to start, you know, for listeners who may not be fully up to date with the progress of Sizewell C, could you perhaps just give us a brief overview, really, of where you're up to? Yeah, we're in a really good place, which, of course, is a great start to the government's 24 gigawatt programme. So we have our big development consent order. That's planning permission for very large projects. We have our major environmental consents. We have permission from the Office for Nuclear Regulation, which means that we are very confident of getting a nuclear site license when we apply for the final license. And of course, we have our design for our power station because we are building an above ground copy of Hinkley Point C. So we've started preparing the site. We've started employing more and more local businesses in the Suffolk and wider East Anglia region. because We're going to have at least 70% UK content in construction, a lot of which will come from the local area. And we have got great arrangements in place with Hinkley Point C to make sure that we benefit from all of the knowledge that they've built up in their restart of the UK's nuclear programme after this huge generational gap there's been. Because Sizewell B, our neighbour, was the last power station to be built in the UK and that actually started operations in 1995. So it started being built in the mid-80s. So moving into the procurement of the plant and obviously using the RAB model, regulated asset base, why do you think that is kind of so attractive really for this project? And also, I guess, you know, where else do you see the model being applied? Well, of course, the model of a regulated asset base is used very widely for infrastructure in the UK. So national grids, distribution and transmission lines, the water industry, a lot of airports. It's all built on the regulated asset base model. And the reason it's built on a regulated asset base model is because it puts a regulator into the picture to make sure that the costs which are being charged are appropriate and are fair for consumers over time. The reason we're looking at it for Sizewell C, or intending that it's used, is that if people remember the Hinkley Point contract for difference, when the Hinkley Point contract for difference was signed, it was £92.50 per megawatt hour. And that was, at the time, a lot cheaper than the equivalent contracts of difference for offshore wind, which I think were at the time around about £145 megawatt hour. Of course, since then, the offshore wind industry has done a great job in reducing both the costs of the build and also reducing the cost of capital. And so the National Audit Office looked at the Hinkley contract for difference and analysed whether or not the contract for difference was the right model for an asset like nuclear, which has a long construction period and then a very long operational period. And the National Audit Office suggested that the government look at the regulated asset base model, which, as I said, is widely used for other forms of infrastructure in the UK, and to see whether or not that would bring down the cost of the money, cost of the capital, and introduce an economic regulator. And the government decided that that was the right way to go. 
And so it legislated last year to introduce a regulated asset-based model for nuclear and Sizewell will be the first nuclear power station to benefit from that model. In terms of where do I see it being used elsewhere, I think people have looked at that model for things like carbon capture and storage. They're looking at it for other forms of nuclear, like small modular reactors. And I think it will be case by case where it's suitable for use because the characteristics of the asset being very long term suit it. Then I think people will make use of it. I think some SMR designs, small modular reactor designs will use it. And I think others may choose as the market develops more and more potentially to revert to using a contract for difference. But all of that remains to be seen. And it's our job to make a success of this first use of it. Yes, yes, certainly. And obviously, as part of the financial structure, the government is putting in quite a large chunk of its own money. I think 679 million is the amount that they committed to. And I believe as well, the first tranche that's already been put forward. But that still leaves, obviously, a considerable amount that needs to be raised from private sector investors. So can you maybe give us a sense of how investors are viewing this opportunity at the moment and you know how they're responding to the really quite large challenge, really? Yes. So the model of the equity ownership of the shareholding will be a proportion retained by government, a proportion retained by EDF. So currently, Sizewell C is 50-50 UK government EDF, and then bringing in additional shareholders. The exact proportions are to be decided. In terms of the challenge, we've done a lot of work with institutions to establish the ESG case for nuclear, because there hasn't really been significant private sector investment in nuclear historically. There's been a lot of work to do talking to people about the usual issues which arise when you talk about nuclear, which is, on the one hand, people have concerns about waste and decommissioning, and sometimes about safety. So we've been talking through the answers on those, which, of course, it's literally the safest way statistically to make electricity that there is at industrial scale. And we have very good and costed solutions to both waste disposal, storage and disposal and decommissioning. And then talking to them about all the positive ESG case for nuclear. So nuclear is a fantastic way of levelling up. We create not just jobs, but we create careers. So I'm very proud to say that my co-managing director, Nigel Can and Stuart Crooks, who's the managing director of Inkpoint C, both started as apprentices and are now running some of the largest projects in the UK. And that's not that Nigel and Stuart are not outliers. A lot of the station directors come from similar backgrounds. And we also have a very good case in terms of our life cycle carbon emissions. So our life cycle carbon emissions are around five and a half grams per kilowatt hour, which is literally the lowest carbon life cycle attributed to any way of making electricity at industrial scale. And we also have a very good environmental record. We are very careful with the way that we build and we have done a lot of work to create mitigation habitat around Sizewell C in compensation for the unavoidable disruption of construction. So we spent a lot of time talking people through the ESG case, getting institutions and their ESG teams familiar. And we have recently with government, as I think the Secretary of State said, round about the time of the GBN launch, been talking to a number of potential investors together with the government, and we're very happy with the way it's going. Obviously, everything is subject to non-disclosure agreements, and you wouldn't expect me to comment on individual potential investors. Yes, yeah, fair enough. And you mentioned GBN there as well, obviously the Great British Nuclear Organisation. 
So where do you see Sizewell C fitting into that, I guess, the, the broader plan for UK nuclear power? I think where everyone's delighted to see the launch of Great British Nuclear and a structured programme emerging for the rest of the 24 gigawatts, I think that in Sizewell we will work very closely with GBN. I think as GBN sort of staffs up, we will work out probably a formal relationship and you know see how GBN is going to fit in as a stakeholder. But in terms of sharing knowledge, sharing skills, making sure that things that we do can benefit the 24 gigawatt program, then we already have a lot of informal contact and great goodwill to work together to make the best of Sizewell for the future programme. So to give you concrete examples, we are going to extend some of the fantastic work Hinkley has done in building UK construction skills, particularly welding, for example, where the UK's had a shortage of skilled welders. And we would very much hope that GBN and successor projects will benefit from that. And we will do everything we can to work closely with them to make sure that what we're doing is suitable for the rest of the programme. So the UK consumer gets maximum benefit from what we're doing. Yes. Yeah. And as you said earlier, obviously, there's been this big hiatus, isn't there, in nuclear development in the UK. And so having, you know, something like GBN and obviously your experience at Sizewell and Hinkley's experience as well is going to be really important, isn't it, for the future? Yeah, that's right. You know, Hinkley's trained a thousand apprentices. Well, it committed to train a thousand and I think it's currently over twelve hundred. We've committed to train 1,500 apprentices. I expect that we will exceed our target. And you just think about that's at least 2,500 or probably nearer 3,000 young people who we've trained in the UK nuclear new build industry and who will be looking for careers. And we very much hope we'll find careers in subsequent projects. Yes, and which actually brings me to another point that I know you've always been sort of keen to make that Sizewell C is not simply about a new reactor, is it? It's about much more than that. Actually, the community work that you do, you've mentioned that already, but if you could maybe talk a bit more about that, I think that would be really interesting. Yeah, when you're going to build something like Sizewell, it's essential that you have what we call social license. And so it's really important that we make sure that the people who suffer the disruption, who are, of course, the people who live closest to the site, are also able to benefit fully from the opportunities that it brings. So we engage in a range of mitigation measures, you know, things like double glazing and so on, which we're obliged to do by the planning consent and keen to do. But we go above and beyond because we want a local workforce. So we want to work with the schools to make sure that the nuclear industry is seen as an appealing place to come and work because you can have a great and well-paid career in the nuclear industry and that we make the routes to come and work really open to people from all backgrounds. Something I think about quite a lot is that Sizewell will bill every household in the country, as indeed does all electricity generation, but you know we will be 7% of it, so we'll build the 27 million residential households, and to the extent possible, we should make sure that our workforce looks like the society who's paying for the power station. So we're very keen on making sure that we have a representation of women, of people from different ethnic backgrounds, of people with disabilities, which reflect the makeup of the society that we live in, who are paying the bills of Sizewell. And then we've committed to take at least a third of the workforce from the area local to the site, and we'll make particular efforts at a hyper-local level in Leyston, which is the town where the power station is based. Yes. And obviously you've talked about ESG, you've kind of explained why 
the RAB model is so attractive. However, as you well know, there are many people out there who A, disagree fundamentally with use of nuclear power, and B, will disagree with the use of the RAB model. So I guess on both of those sides, what do you say to those people? Well, if I start with nuclear and people objecting to nuclear, the first thing I'd say is that there are far fewer people who object to nuclear than you might think. Roughly speaking, public opinion in the UK tends to run pretty consistently at a third, a third, a third. So a third of people like it a lot, a third of people don't like it, and a third of people aren't very bothered. In countries where nuclear has recently turned on, say, for example, in Finland, where Olkiluoto, which will be a sister station to Sizewell, turned on, then public approval of nuclear is running at a very high level. I think it's well above 70%. So sometimes public opinion responds to the good news of, in that case, Olkiluoto turning on. Olkiluoto is making 14% of Finland's electricity, and it's hugely reducing Finland's dependence on Russia for its energy needs and it's branded as Finland's greatest climate act. I'd say to people who don't like nuclear that if you look at the facts it is statistically very safe. It is the way of making electricity at industrial scale which has given rise to the fewest deaths of people bar none and that's not in any way to discount the tragic events at Chernobyl or the fear and disruption caused by the evacuation from Fukushima, which, of course, did also lead to deaths, but they weren't deaths from the nuclear incident. They were excess deaths from the disruption and trauma of the evacuation, which doesn't make them any less tragic in their own right. But statistically, it is the safest way to make electricity. It's very useful as part of an electricity mix because it has a very small footprint. So in a world in which energy security is very important to us. So we want a very significant proportion of the electricity we use made in the UK. We need a mix and nuclear having a very small footprint is a very useful part of that mix. So we're never advocating that we have a nuclear dominated system. We believe in a system which is renewables dominated, but with a solid backbone of nuclear And then, of course, the business case for Sizewell is that it actually reduces consumer bills. So even though it is, of course, expensive to build, it's big and it's complicated and it's expensive to build 7% of the nation's electricity in one spot at once, the impact of building Sizewell is to bring down consumer bills. So in return for paying a small amount in the construction period, household bills are forecast to be lower by 30 to 50 pounds per year per household if we build size well, in comparison with a world in which we move to low carbon electricity, which of course we must. I know looking at the weather across a lot of the Mediterranean, it's imperative that we get on with this. But it reduces bills. And if you if you look at what would have been the impact on bills for UK consumers had Hinkley been on during last year's gas price crisis, Hinkley would have saved consumers around about four and a half billion pounds just last year. So depending on circumstances, in a world in which both energy security and decarbonising are important to you, then the essential case for nuclear is a business case. It brings your bills down. It provides consistent non-weather dependent electricity. And it's made in a very small space. I know the sites look large, but that's because we're building 7% of the nation's electricity. But ultimately, the operating site's about 33 hectares. And the stats, if you wanted to recreate that electricity use from solar or from wind, 
are exponentially larger, like 30,000 to 90,000 hectares in comparison with our 33. So all in all, it's a very useful part of a mix. And in the UK, that mix will be dominated by offshore wind and will include solar, will include some hydro, but we don't have huge hydro resources and needs to include some nuclear. And we look forward to the development of carbon capture and storage. You know, we, as I say, we don't have an, an exclusive vision. We have an inclusive vision of which we are a part. Yes. Yeah. In terms of why use the RAB, ultimately consumers pay for electricity. So sometimes the debate sounds as though people imagine that in, there's a world in which people aren't paying for the cost of building electricity generating assets. They are. So you have options. An option is that it's all paid through taxation. If it's all paid through taxation, that's a decision which could be made, but that means that the entire risk of construction falls onto taxpayers. You can build it under a contract for difference, but the issue with the contract for difference for Hinckley was pointed out by the National Audit Office, which is with a very long construction period, the contract for difference rolls up interest on the money that's being spent and sort of creates effectively a very large credit card bill at the end of construction, which then has to be paid off. And so people, and including the National Audit Office, consider that there are better ways of doing this. And what the regulated asset-based model does is it shares risk. So it shares the construction risk between consumers and shareholders. So it ensures that shareholders are heavily incentivized to control the costs and schedule of the project but it shares the risks so that the project is overall cheaper. Yeah, yeah. I guess on that point of shared risk, I suppose the one argument is that the ultimate risk will always fall back to the government stroke taxpayer on the basis that in theory the private sector can in many ways walk away if things go particularly wrong or whatever. So I guess that's one argument that people sort of put around the idea of risk sharing that on such a massive project in the end the risk is still kind of borne by the public sector at the end of the day. As I said, there are choices and all these choices are debatable. So if you weren't to build it under the RAB model, as I say, you'd be, you could build it under a government taxation model, in which case all of the risk sits with taxpayers, or you can offlay some of that risk onto shareholders who will bring all of their experience of building or being shareholders in other projects, other UK projects with big civils, other nuclear projects. So you get a lot more people's brains engaged in the management of the project, in which case you share the risk. I mean, they're just choices. No one choice is all right or all wrong, and every choice has upsides and downsides. The RAB is a balanced choice, which creates a risk-sharing mechanism. I mean, something I'd say about ultimate risk is that There are no pressurised water reactor projects around the world which have ever failed to turn on for technical reasons. If they've not turned on, it's invariably been for political reasons. But pressurised water reactors, there are, I think, 400 around the world. They have a fantastic availability record, so this is around about 91%. They are a great piece of kit. And so in terms of is it appropriate to give a regulated asset-based model to a pressurised water type of nuclear reactor the answer is yes you know they're a well-known very reliable technology yes yeah and extremely safe the risk of a significant release of radiation from a new nuclear power station like sizewell c is incredibly remote it's sort of lower than 10 to the minus six it's sort of roughly equivalent to the chances of you being wiped out by a meteorite yeah. they are extremely safe pieces of yes kit. yeah okay well 
as you are also, as I mentioned earlier, our reigning individual contribution of the year award winner. I was very disappointed not to get a crown. <laughs> Where's my crown? <laughs> yeah, we'll have to look at that for next year. But <laughs> yes, it'd be great to just get a sense of about you as well and you know, what brought you to this job really and what it is about both infrastructure and, and size well in particular that sort of excites and motivates you. Oh, well, I spent a lot of my career as a lawyer at Herbert Smith Freehills and there I worked on all sorts of infrastructure projects, so transport, defence, energy, and I did various forms of energy project, and including the Swansea Bay Tidal Lagoon and including Hinkley. And it seemed to me that to build anything, and particularly any new technology type in the UK, it's quite hard. As I said, we live in a democratic society and we are very grateful for that. We have an awful lot of policy, law and regulation. And as you'll know, the lagoon didn't happen for various reasons. But amongst reasons was that the UK doesn't actually have a sort of full set of policy for if you build a tidal lagoon. And what we did have was a full set of policy for if you build a nuclear power station. So sort of along the lines of Altaluto being billed as Finland's Greatest Climate Act, it seemed to me that the most useful thing I personally could do for fighting climate change would be to come along and help get another nuclear power station developed because we have the policy, we have the legislation, we have the design, thanks to Hinkley. And thanks to Hinkley, we have an increasingly rebuilt, reskilled workforce. And that I wanted to come along and make my contribution to um, having energy secure, stable, low carbon electricity. And Sarswasi is my answer. Mm-hmm to um, those conundrums yes yeah that's great well yes thank you very much for your time today and good to speak with you and yeah i guess we'll have to see if we can get a crown in the post you so you can perhaps wear it and pass it on to next year's winner <laughs> at the awards we'll see what we can do <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you see yet another innovation from the nuclear industry indeed yes <laughs> thanks very much for your time julia good to speak to you thank you So, Jonathan, what stood out for you in that conversation? Well, really enjoyed it. So uh, thanks to Julia for uh, talking to us. And there's a lot to go through on there. One element for our listeners is obviously the RAV model and how that's working and what influence that it's going to have. But also, for me, also particularly interesting is the role that Sizewell is set to play in the net zero ecosystem around the UK. Because we're seeing in the news at the moment, it is in flux how the pathway will roll out, but assets like Sizewell C are going to play such a big cornerstone role. I think she said 7% of the overall UK energy consumption, which is massive, obviously. But getting there, I think if we talk about the RAB model first, seeing something debut on a asset this size obviously it's been used on transmission as you say and on airports but a nuclear power station is a different beast so seeing the model actually in action and being crafted as we speak I think is fascinating to get an inside scoop and also to hear how investors are reacting to that one of the things Julia said is that investors are kind of happy with the way that conversations are going it's been through a lot of changes in terms of the role of Chinese investors and the split between UK and EDF and what might play out in the future. There's a lot 
still to be done. But to hear that it's being received well, I think is critical. And a large part of that is the ESG element of it, which Julia touched on and trying to establish that. Something you do hear around the industry is there's question marks there. So to be able to make progress with all of those question marks out there on all those different topics and still for it to be working well and developing and blazing a trail, I think is so impressive and a real pleasure to hear Julia give us the inside scoop on that. Yeah, and I think that point around investor interest is really obviously critical, isn't it? And the fact that she talked about the ESG potential, the ESG angle is going to be more and more important for investors you know, we've written about this plenty of times. I think that increasingly now investment and investor sentiment is moving to those key elements of ES and G. And you know, the environmental impact of investments now is a key consideration for a lot of investors and potentially in some cases is going to make the difference between whether they invest in an infrastructure project or not. Mm-hmm. So uh, having it in that bucket and being able to see the benefits from an investor point of view, I guess, is going to be important and you know, potentially going to help bring in a lot more money, hopefully, to that project. Yeah, definitely. And that's one side of it, the benefits for the investors. But the benefits of bringing investors in is critical because, like you said, this is the kind of project that would usually have just been done by the taxpayer. But in terms of that risk distribution, bringing in investors to take on some of that risk and incentivize it, and to really push the project forward is a critical factor. And using RAB rather than Contract for Difference and using it appropriately is one of those conversations which we always hear in the industry about using the right model on different projects and making sure it's appropriate. And to see, as you're saying, it pan out in a way now that is attractive to investors, but also gives protection to consumers by using a regulator is really innovative on a project of this scale. So I've spoken to a few people before about the RAB model and and what it brings. And I like the idea of it being a middle pathway between private and public sector and actually tying them together in much the way that PPPs are said to be, but often don't do, instead being transactional rather than being actually collaborative. And in this case, the RAB model is really ticking all of those boxes and bringing together both sides and doing so in a way where you've got that ceiling and that floor in terms of the risk distribution and that getting the package right and making it stack up to investors is certainly not an easy feat. But as I said before, the fact that it is happening and that investors are interested and happy to do that is a really, really good sign. And also a good sign for the future of nuclear. And as we've seen in the last couple of weeks, Great British Nuclear is really starting to take off. So there's a lot riding on this. Yes, absolutely. That Great British Nuclear is coming down the line. It's a really good positive step for the industry and the potential for new investment there is is quite significant. So yeah, it'd be interesting to see, I think, how things develop beyond Sizewell C now in some ways. I know we're a long way from that project getting kind of signed off and, and starting proper works, but yeah, what comes next will be just as important. And the fact that we've got this new organization, Great British Nuclear, I think is a really good starting point. And one of the key things that investors always say they want is a pipeline and a program that they can invest in and that they can see coming down the line. So if you've got a unit that has been set up deliberately to create those projects, then hopefully 
that will provide the the pipeline that the uh, investor community is so keen to see. Totally. And is the skills learned here on Sizewell are being shared with Great British Nuclear, even if informal at the moment, and also eventually worldwide. I've spoken to numerous people before who are eyeing Britain's potential future role in a global nuclear industry. Energy security is on countries' minds all around the world. We know that Canada are delivering some small modular reactor projects at the moment and their infrastructure bank is being involved in the nuclear industry there. And also in Europe, there are numerous countries that are working on starting nuclear pipelines. So Britain could be in a really good position to kind of get ahead of the game there and develop those careers and skills and expertise, whether that's financial in terms of RAB or that is actual hands-on expertise to lead the way. And I think those small nuclear reactors is going to be really interesting development as well, isn't it? And how that plays into the backbone, as Julia described it, of the nuclear power plants. I think we're not necessarily going to see Great British Nuclear there to create you know, lots of large size well seas around the country. You're going to see a few of those, but actually these small reactors are going to perhaps be a big part of that backbone as well, which is going to be um, interesting. Yeah, definitely. As she described the future UK system as renewables dominated with a nuclear backbone. And I think that's a really compelling vision to come down the line. One of the standout moments for me was when Julia mentioned about the difference in footprint that you would need to produce 7% of the energy supply compared to comparing Sizewell C to solar plants. And it was orders of magnitude in difference. So seeing it kind of develop and become a reality is really exciting, not just for the UK, as you say, not just for the public and the consumers who are going to have their bills reduced, but also investors get a great opportunity in all shapes and forms. I'm sure that sovereign wealth funds are going to be looking around at projects like this. So, And also, like we're saying, with the international appeal and pipeline that could be developed, it's a really exciting moment for the industry to find a new way of actually delivering this. Yeah, well, I guess we now have to wait and see whether the investment that is so hoped for in Sizewell comes along the line and what that looks like, what that mix looks like as well, I think will be really interesting and a really kind of litmus test for this industry in terms of its investor appetite. Definitely. Well, thank you very much, Jonathan, and thank you very much, Julia, for your time as well. 